Welcome back to Extra Credit, a TransUnion card and banking podcast. Craig, you and I got into a conversation with with Paul Siegfried, our boss, in the the last episode we did, and and there was so much content really that he was hitting on in terms of where we've been in 2022 and his thoughts on 2023 that we decided to break that into to two episodes. So we're back. We're going to get Paul's thoughts on some of the competitive pressures as well as some uh, personal reflections on on generational differences and how people will use credit and, and credit products. And um, here we go. Great. Before we do that, let's give him a chance to redeem himself on the auto trucks in shows trivia section. So now we're going to combine cars, Paul, with another love of yours, and that's popular media, whether it's TV or movies. And you can select the decade, 70s, 80s, or 90s and later. And we're going to ask you the type of a car associated with a particular show or series. Oh, my goodness. Let's start with the 80s. The 80s. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Ferrari. You got it. Now, this <laughs> this next one is 79, but the this is a this is a Mad Max question, but a lot of the subsequent movies are made in the eighties. So I'm gonna ask you, Mad Max. That's a hard one. I want to say Chevelle. I, it, it's pretty close. That's another answer for another car or another okay. question. And I I just watched that a couple of weeks ago, but I, I I'll give it to you. Ford Falcon GT. Yeah. Okay, Rain Man. Oh, geez. Um, oh, my gosh. Convertible Chevy or a caddy? Uh, you are in the right manufacturer on General Motors, and it's a Buick, Buick? Road, Roadmaster. Yeah. All right. Easy one. Back to the future. Oh, um, he got Here's sent it. to jail for right. uh, cocaine. Begins with an L. Um well, I believe it's another capital letter in the middle of his last name. Oh, my God. John. DeLorean. There we go. There you go. All right. Christine. The movie Christine. Oh, oh, my gosh. I want to say that's a Plymouth. Got it. Well done. I would not have got that. I think the 80s, other than DeLorean, it would be the hardest for me. Vacation. Vacation. I mean, that was a made-up station wagon. Uh, it was a station wagon. You're you're halfway there, but apparently, it was based on a real model. Well, I mean, that real model was uh, the old Buick Roadmaster or Olds. For, it's Ford LTD Country Squire. Ford LTD Country Squire. All right, we'll go to the seventies. I actually think the seventies might be more. Um, your cup of tea dukes of hazard oh is the uh charger dodge charger nice job Smokey and the bandit camaro or uh no not camaro it's a firebird you got it knight rider kit is uh there you that's a camaro i think kit no kit it, it's it's also a trans am trans am okay yep Starsky and Hutch. I think is a Gran Torino. Yep. American Graffiti. Oh, there's so many cars in that. Well, it's um, the it's the yellow one, the truck that they're mostly driving in. Ford. Yep, Deuce Coupe. 
Here's one for you. Animal House, and specifically the Deathmobile. Oh, the Deathmobile. Um, I want to say Mopar, given the handles. Uh, so Lincoln, Lincoln, Lincoln Continental. Oh, because yeah. it had the suicide doors. There you yep. go. Uh, all right. The last one, and this I think is one of the best cars, but this one is kind of cheating because it's late 60s. Bullet. Well, Bullet is Mustang versus Charger. You got it. Bullet GT Fastback. All right. Those are pretty hard. Did a nice Great. job on them. Every time I'm responsible for the trivia, you give me a bad time and how difficult I make the questions. And I just want to say, you, you, I'm not alone in that. Well, I mean, we have incredibly, yeah, we have incredibly successful people as our guests. So we have to challenge them, Josh. Knock them down a notch or two before we get into it. So Josh done a nice job of uh, hitting on what I would call macro topics, health and consumer. Josh takes the easy ones, Craig. That's why Josh takes the easy questions. That's right. I do. Maybe, maybe. (laughs) <laughs> but you know he you know he he hit on a lot of great macro questions health of consumer how the industry's doing in general i want to move now and ask you some questions about competitive dynamics as the different issuer groups really f- fight and position themselves for acquiring and retaining customers transactions and balances first i'd like to revisit our old friend buy now pay later now admittedly I've been a little critical in particular of the of the business model, at least the current business model, but asking you, how do you see demand holding up? You know, is it impacting card balances? So, yeah, I think there's two questions there. I, I think one, how is it holding up? I, I go back to, to the statement I made earlier. What a great time to be a consumer where uh, I have the ability to go in physically or virtually, meaning on the internet, um, to and, and engage with a merchant in commerce. And if I don't already have a credit or a payment instrument chosen, uh, I can select one and, and actually progress uh, and, and achieve a new payment instrument um, during that checkout process. And I think buy now, pay later, that's the, the huge positive is, um, and when we've done research, you know, there's a a swath of consumers where they don't have access to credit and they probably, uh, in in many cases, uh, may not have completed the transaction without buy now, pay later. So from that perspective, I think it has provided um, a valuable opportunity for merchants to complete incremental transactions. Um, Now, maybe not all of them um, would have been incremental. And, and that's where your second question comes from. Has it been a huge impact to uh, card balances? Um, I, I do have a sense that um, I, I think there was an early on um, inquisitive nature of the consumer that said, hey, that's kind of different. Maybe I should try it. And I think that um, Many of the many, not all, but many consumers that had access to credit cards that may have tried it um, may have realized that a credit card is a very convenient vehicle, uh, meaning I, I quickly complete the transaction at the point of sale, and then I figure out later um, what to do with um, that balance. Do I want to revolve that balance? Do I want to pay it 
uh, over time or, or do I want to pay it in full? And so I do feel like uh, credit cards give uh, consumers uh, significant flexibility in how they want to interact. They also have secondary options. You know, many of the cards today have options of I can take transactions and now convert them to other payment types, or I can certainly, uh, if I've got a balance, I could certainly transfer it to a new card or certainly do a new loan type as well. So I think there's a lot of flexibility for the consumer. I, I go back to, to buy now, pay later and say, you know, I think again, for some consumers offers a, a, a flexibility that uh, perhaps they did not have access to. And I, I think that that's a segment where it was attractive and will continue to be attractive as long as their pricing is that they don't have to pay a whole lot for it. Um, and, and I think if that changes, you'll see, I think that the value proposition and the usage change. Great point. Great point. Um, let's take a look at the different issuer segments in the market. You've got large, large issuers, they're looking perhaps hungrily and what's the right word? Longingly at the nimbleness of fintech entrants. Fintech entrants are really trying to skate to open space by trying to find their niche or to further diversify. The last big group I see is credit unions and regional banks. They're looking at their own value proposition and really looking to grow lending, grow balances, particularly in credit cards, given pressures, particularly in, in auto and mortgage. And they all these different groups feel competitive pressures in a slightly different way. What, what advice do you have for the different groups? Because it's not all the same. Yeah, well that, that's a uh, complicated set of three questions, but I, I think that it's a great question because um, in many cases, the uh, the answer is the same. Um, so with the three segments, you know, with the largest segment, uh, one in, in, in the card industry over the last four years, um, we now have more card players and we've had more entrants um, than we had seen in, in a number of years. I, I would go back to uh, probably the, the late 90s is the last time we saw this many um, lenders of scale in the card industry. That said, at the same time, the biggest lenders or the biggest issuers of cards have gotten bigger. And so um, how they've gotten bigger has changed. And uh, originally it was, um, let's buy portfolios where portfolios have been all gotten uh, by way of um, region, through a, a particular, you know, an issuer leaves the business and sells the portfolio off, or through a, a co-branded partnership, and even those merchants have gotten bigger. And so, um, on the the larger side of uh, the credit card issuers, scale is huge, right? Scale is a huge part of their business. But what we have found is the use of data. Uh, it is hard to change when you uh, have enormous systems. Um, we have seen in the last three years greater adoption of trended data in the top 10 than we had seen in the prior 10 years before that. And even though trended data had been available for almost 10 years at that point, um, I, I think what those big lenders with scale are, are realizing is that there's value in trended data. There's value in the data to more deeply understand that consumer. Why? 
um, because they need that scale. They, they need to be able to make decisions quickly. Uh, they need to make the right decision, engage with that consumer to become their customer, and then engage with that customer over time. You mentioned the fintechs, and, and really when I think of fintechs, most of the time we think of specialty. Um, they're doing one or two things really, really well, which is that that focus allows them to have that nimbleness uh, as a fintech. And, and you mentioned that many of them are now spreading their wings. And you know, I think what we see there is their use of data. Again, their, their nimbleness was because they needed to make a decision about a loan quicker than someone else. If the standard for a personal loan, for example, was a week and I can make it in a day, I can get that loan. If I can make it in a minute, I can for sure get that loan and fund it tomorrow. But what it means is I need to do it with a level of confidence that no one else has, right? I'm gonna do it that confidently. So I need all the data I can get uh, and, and provide access to. Um, again, I think it's about understanding the data understanding trended data. They, again, FinTech's first ones to truly wholesale adopt, um, I think, trended data. But it's really gaining, again, a more complete view, more holistic view of the consumer and not just trended data. I think a, a lot of alternative data uh, comes into play when we talk about the FinTechs. Um, and next, you mentioned the community side. And and really, what is community? It's, it's really about relationship banking. And um, when we think about relationship banking, it's traditionally, uh, if I think back, you know, back when I was a child um, and I went to the bank, we went to the bank and we With sat in long drive. savings. Yeah, passbook savings, right? Uh, can you print out my interest for me? Um, or I'm going to sit in the drive through for, for a half hour uh, because we didn't have ATMs back then. And, and we needed cash because we couldn't use cards that are everywhere, right? So, um, you know, how things have changed. Um, but I, I think about the relationship that so many of our customers have um, with their customer, their client. And historically, um, they could do that, they could conduct that interaction with that consumer face-to-face, as and, and we really saw greater adoption with COVID, where all of a sudden the branches were closed. I need to serve my customers and attract customers um, online. And that changed the way many of them, it, it's not that they weren't online, but it really changed where they had to have priority, same priority online as they did uh, in the branch. And so you talk about how to get a greater view of that relationship comes right back to again data a more holistic view of the of the consumer using trended data using uh, alternative data we've seen more adoption of trended data in the last two and a half years um, from the community side uh, of our customers um, than we've really seen uh, percentage wise anywhere else um, and so uh, again helping them actually gain even greater understanding about that relationship uh, than they had just with me walking through the door. So that, you know, the, again, kind of the same answer for all three, uh, but really all of them want to get to know that consumer much better than they knew uh, just by you walking through the door or just showing up online. Thank you. So you've got all these different issuer segments uh, competing. Are any of them differentiating 
2023, at least in your view, will they be differentiating on product? Are there any key product trends or changes that we should be looking for? Yeah, what are the key product trends, product changes? I, I think you know a little bit ago we spoke about uh, the value proposition. Again, what a great time to be a consumer because these value propositions are very rich, uh, particularly for transactors. Uh, those value propositions are rich. Um, yeah, I think that we have um, cards, bank cards, credit cards with capabilities tied into the wallet. Uh, you know, digital wallets where uh, I now have you know one-click type of access uh, to check out. That's incredible, right? To be able to conduct commerce in a way um, where it's one or two clicks uh, to complete that, uh, and I think that. You know, it's not the future, that's the here and now. I think that as we look at um, the, the card issuers that continue to embrace the technology, we've had somewhat of a form factor um, convergence, where again, it's not just about physically the card, it's about the, the access to the account. And I can get that access through many different devices, not just the card. And I think it's how, our, um, how the lending community um, really focuses on that usability, right? So as a consumer, how these things are easy to me. How do I understand my balance? Can I easily log in and understand what my balance is? Can I easily make a payment? Can I easily use it to, again, conduct commerce? Uh, are all these things very simple, easy to conduct? I think that is um, exciting for the consumer. I think that's what makes a difference today versus if I just look back 10 years ago, much less 30 years ago. Um, those are the huge differences is how consumers have access to credit. Paul, I want to, you know, last last question here and thinking about some of those changes to how consumers have access to credit and product changes and things. Uh, we we spend a lot of time looking at generational differences and there's some really interesting stuff that we're seeing now in terms of um, incomes and incomes keeping pace with inflation and and views on on uh, you know their optimism on their financial futures and things from a generational standpoint. But um, you're the father of a recent college graduate and a current college student. So I'm curious as you think about how the industry is changing and how consumers are changing, how do you think that their and their peers' experience with credit is going to differ from you know you me? Uh, I'll go out on a limb here and assume that that most of our listeners aren't in the 18 to 22 bracket. So many of the people listening to the podcast. Yeah, they might be, but I, I wouldn't expect them to be, to your point, Josh. Yeah, I mean, I know your kids listen to this, but, but yeah. otherwise, yeah. Yeah, I think the one thing that just to start is um, if you think about Gen Z today and Gen Z being about 25, 26 at the oldest uh, side of the cohort, and, and you, it's 2022, you say 2007 is when the iPhone came out, that is 15 years ago. If the oldest uh, Gen Z is 26, it means they were 11 when the iPhone hit the market. Um, they may, you know, they, they speak about flip phones as we speak about rotary dial phones on the wall. Um, yeah, I remember my flip phone, and they laugh about it, right? Hey, I remember our rotary phone, and I laugh about it. Um, and I think why that's super important is that 
they really only know a GUI-based phone. And so their lives orient around the digital native uh, of that platform. I think that that's important to understand for all of the lending community, because number one, their phone knows them. And when you interact with them through the phone, I think that the impression I get from that generation is that you should know me. And they're confused through multi-channel interactions when you don't know them. Or if you ask them to complete on the phone uh, an application twice, it would completely befuddle them why anyone would ever do that. Why would that not carry through um, from one to the other? Uh, so I think understanding that perspective of um, don't you know me, um, I, I think the other again gets back to usability um, and that they are so used to things being done uh, quite easily uh, that that's their expectation and that I think uh, the abandonment rate, you know, we used to talk about um, in internet application days, if I go 10 years ago, we talk about the funnel drop and how many fields it will take to drop the funnel. Um, so for instance, going over 16 fields was absolutely a killer on an internet application. If you think about a smartphone today, um, going past a page is going to dramatically decrease um, your, your throughput, right? Your funnel's gonna drop. So how do you keep it, everything that you really need to capture into one page, how do you make it as few clicks and as few interactions as possible? I think that's really what that generation is looking for and expects. Um, I do think that there's some exceptions where complexity, if it is a more complex um, type of transaction, obviously a mortgage is significantly more complex than a credit card, although I would say if you make it way too complex, again, you're going to expect that um, it's going to take either a lot longer, more expense on your side, um, or uh, a, a much higher abandonment rate with the, the consumer. So that's, that's, those are the two things I would uh, call out that seems to be at least observable uh, in my household. Yeah, no, that's, that's helpful. Well, that was great. Thank you for for the the time and the perspective. I think there's there's so much content between these episodes that at least helps me think about where we've been this year and and where we're headed as an industry. Uh, for everyone listening, we thank you for joining us for another episode of Extra Credit, a card and banking podcast from TransUnion, and look forward to joining you uh, in January with a whole slate of exciting guests that Craig and I have lined up, and uh, as we continue this conversation. Happy holidays, everybody.